Hello and welcome to Overburden, the podcast for postal workers. I'm Brandy Hughes. And I'm Kevin Hitchings. Today we're going to do a little bit of talking about the National Constitution. We talked about the national policies quickly last season. Just went over the sections. This time we're going to go into a few more of them in a little more detail. And uh, so that you know it's there since probably 90% of people never read them. Well, yeah, they're kind of in the middle of the book. so Although they are different colors, so that does kind of draw the eye. But So Section A deals with the struggle of CUPW against the employer. So the other sections in the policies deal with you know, social issues and legislation, things like that. These are the ones that are directly against the employer and are dealings with the employer. So start with A1. Um, so this one is picket lines. So basically it states that a picket line is a picket line, whether it's our picket line or someone else's picket line, and the union's position is that you do not cross them. So in support of other unions, uh, we respect their picket lines and we do not support those businesses while they are striking. Yeah, and I know in Saskatoon, um, the last major picket line I I can think of was the co-op one. And we refused to have our vehicles gas up at any co-op station here when they were trying to introduce a two-tier wage system and we were not crossing those picket lines and denying our business there. It was really hard for me because co-op has the best gluten-free chocolate cake mix and I pretty much had to learn how to make it from scratch. I know, my life is rough, right? (laughs) But that was my struggle anyway. (laughs) So that one's a little general, less specific against the corporation itself. Um, but a picket line is a picket line. So it just kind of enforces that idea and brings solidarity with other locals too, which in turn helps us eventually. Yeah, and it also states that it's kind of the union's responsibility to inform our members as to why we do this, like to to make sure that everyone understands that it's a solidarity thing and that if we do this for them, they will do this for us, right? Right. There's a few articles in here about... Um, stopping the employer from pitting one group against the other, essentially. So that's what the next thing is. Um, This one deals with regional bargaining. So we don't have separate rules for one area of the country over another area of the country. There are a few areas that get isolated posts, but other than that, I can't think of any regional policy that the corporation has. Uh, And we are generally opposed. The, The collective agreement does speak to, there's a number of clauses that are kind of more acceptable to do local consultations on like to modify um how you how you staff overtime or um things like that uh i believe there's four or five of them in the ca that are that are considered to be fair game for for local consultations to to change the basic way that the collective agreement works but in general in general the union's position is that that contract was negotiated um, for the whole group and we have more strength if we all adhere to those rules. In all those cases, it's either A or B. The main one I can think of right now is with your relief complement for letter carriers in group two. You can have one group of relief carriers or you can separate the vacation and the sick relief or the all other absence of relief, something like that. That's a hot topic because yeah. that's done differently in different locals. And So you can change it. A little bit, but it's still within the limits, and everybody has the same parameters they have to stay within. Yeah. Right. Even within our local, though, we have people who disagree as to whether we're doing it the right way. <laughs> uh, 
A3 speaks to, it's called the moratorium of silence. And this basically says that the negotiating committee shall not uh, keep secret what they're negotiating from the from the members in general. There were some complaints about this in the last round of negotiations because we weren't hearing a lot from the negotiating team. For sure. This doesn't mean that they, they're supposed to let you know what's going on. Like, there are lots of good reasons for keeping things quiet during negotiations. But what this specifically speaks to is it says a moratorium of silence as a means of backing out of their obligation to inform members and to take a position concerning current negotiations with the employers. So they're not allowed to just ignore an issue essentially or to leave you in the dark about something if they're changing things, but it doesn't necessarily mean they have to inform of everything that happens in negotiations because that would really undermine our position in a lot of things. Well, and I think it would open them up to unnecessary criticism because if they say well we've negotiated this and they tell everyone and everyone gets all excited about how they're going to get five more personal days or whatever it is and then further along in the negotiations things get altered because they traded it for something else how many people are not going to be upset about um you know losing that thing that they were previously promised yeah this happens a lot with uh pay when in negotiations sometimes they'll negotiate a lump some of payment that you're going to get, but then during negotiations it's well, if you want this, you're going to have to back off that pay a little bit. So, you know, mm -hmm. we might originally, you know, bargain for a 50% pay increase, but if you want your benefits increased, they might say, oh, it's only a 49% pay increase to exchange those benefits. Right. So there's some play there, but if you, a lot of people only focus on money. So right. if, if you released everything right away and you promised them 50%, there are a lot of people that would be like 49.9, what the? You know? Oh, yeah. And I even look at like the last, uh, the arbitrated decision there um, and how many people were plotting how they were going to spend their back pay before they'd ever seen the back pay or even knew exactly how much they were going to get. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we don't want everything released during negotiations. That would really handcuff uh, the negotiating team. But this just says they can't use silence as a way to uh, back out of things they really should be negotiating on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things in here that are somewhat obvious. We just kind of formalize them. Um, A5 is a worker control. Um, we want m as much control of our workplace as possible. We don't want the employer dictating what we do. Um, you know, we, we know our work. We know how to do our work. And as long as it's getting done, we should be allowed to do our work. I think that this one is, it kind of hit me personally. <laughs> when I was reading it yesterday because um, I was thinking about uh, some things that that we've been struggling with locally that it's so tempting to just be like, you know what, fine, let them have their way. But if you do that, like there are consequences for the future and how do you ever negotiate that back if you just sit back and let it go? This has a lot like, of ramifications too. Let them dictate. Yeah, there's your work-life balance. You want to have as much flexibility in your workday as possible because that affects your, your personal day, you know. Uh, like I know if someone has an uh, appointment or something, they can just leave if you're a letter carrier, do that, come back. As long as you're done at the normal time, things like that. Right. Usually you let the employer know anyway, but whatever. Um, this also opposes things. Uh, I know at the last couple of conventions, there's been a lot of talk about um, formal job descriptions. I don't really 
want everything detailed about what I have to do when, you know, as much mm -hmm. freedom as possible, which is kind of play on both sides, you know, if there's not a formal description, the employer can abuse it, but at the same time, it takes away our leeway. Mm -hmm. I know one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that as a, in group two, we kind of get to control when we take our breaks and that is pretty priceless, you know, because I know that a lot of uh, inside workers uh, complain that they're pretty much being told to take their break at this time or take their break at that time. And, and there are sections in the collective agreement that say that, you know, you should get your lunch break towards the middle of your shift. Um, but um, yeah, I feel that that is a really important thing to not lose sight of for me anyway, because I, I like having control over my breaks. That's one of the perks. And just to be clear for some people that haven't read the collective agreement in detail, uh, group two is outside workers, letter carriers, MSCs, things like that. Group oh, one yeah. is inside workers. Group three and four are maintenance and technical people. The RSMCs are in their own separate agreement, as well as private sector members have their own For agreements. now. For now. We'll get that fixed eventually. <laughs> We're working on it. So the next one, of course, is collective agreement for all, the, or equal collective agreement for all. The union will negotiate collective agreements that will provide equal benefits for all members, which, you know, like I say earlier, that one about regional uh, agreements doesn't really fit with the union ideals. We want everyone treated equally and the same. I think this also um, really pertains to, I think it was a couple of collective agreements ago when a lot of the um, urban uh, members felt that they had made a lot of sacrifices in order to make similar benefits available to RSMCs. And a lot of people were complaining about that. How is that fair and whatever? But the, the fact of the matter is that things were really unfair to the RSMCs before that. And so for the rest of us to kind of accept less gains so that they could come up to where we have been, um, that's, that's exactly what this is talking about, is that we all need to equally share the benefits of and in the long run that benefits everybody because you can't be or they can't be pitting one group against the other anymore for all the same and then we all have to move forward together you know so the sooner yeah. we all become the same the sooner we're united and we're not playing one or the player can't play one group against the other anymore so in the long run that's a great thing and i don't know about the rest of you but i do definitely feel that the um the camaraderie between the groups has has drastically improved since that occurred like I don't feel like there's as there's still some people who are feel like it's us versus them or inside workers versus outside workers but I feel like most of us have have gotten a better sense of all of us being the same part of the group and we're all we're all in this together the next section is just about the union uh, opposing any kind of probationary period if you're an employee, you're an employee. And if you're a union member, you're a union member. Why would there be different rates just depending on how, or different ranks, just depending on how long you've been there. So union believes when you become an employee or a union member, you should get all benefits of that and not have to wait out a probationary period. Um, yeah. So, so obviously um, new employees do still have that. It's 480 hours probationary period. Right. Is that right? Yep. And, uh, this is pretty much stating that the union thinks that's wrong and that that all of the benefits like the health uh, health care and and uh, the personal days that's a big one um, well, some people wait four or five years just to get a dental plan oh yeah yeah I waited three so 
And I'm sure there's people who've waited lots longer. <laughs> yeah. And if you work alongside the same people, why not have the benefits of those same people? Right. I guess in a way, though, it gives you an opportunity to learn about those benefits before you ever get to use them. Right. You know, you're just sitting there waiting for your getting, getting full time so that you can have the benefits. You know, I'm going to get glasses. That's how I was. I'm like, I'm going to get my teeth cleaned and get some glasses. Yeah. Big dreams. <laughs> okay. A8 speaks to weekend work. It says that the union um, basically will do everything possible to prevent the introduction of a job classification that is solely or primarily for weekend work. We kind of I feel like we kind of lost a bit on this one with the, the recent arbitration in 2020 where they uh, created the peak. Peak season employees. Yeah. What's the official term? The Temporary PPT, the... peak. I always mix it up. Yeah. But anyways, and, and that their description says that they can be brought into work weekends. But not solely weekends. I don't not like solely weekends. No, but it kind of, they can be brought into work weekends at regular pay instead of overtime like the rest of us. Right. That's what it is. So it would basically save the corporation money to pay them, although they still have to offer the work to us first, don't they? No. That's the no. whole point of the, the temporary peak season employees. Oh, because it's, pre, it's they not can pre -book overtime. Them. That's yeah, right. Because if it was them. overtime, they'd have to offer it to us first. But because it's not overtime, you're right. Yep. Yeah. So that is something, I guess, that we're going to have to fight hard. Next section is how we oppose night shifts they're not good for your health they're not good for anyone's schedule they're rarely good for someone's um social life or uh work-life balance um of course in a in a 24 7 logistics company things have to keep moving and there, it's impossible to entirely avoid night shifts but our position has been to always push for as much flexibility in the daytime as possible and shifts that generally work for people so night shift is opposed in general by the union yeah, there's been all kinds of research done as to how much um, the stats usually say things like um, if you work nights for this many uh, this many months or this many years, you'll shorten your lifespan by this this much. And the numbers are actually quite astounding that it's like it's not it's not even one to one. It's like the longer you work nights, the it's like exponential how much you're decreasing your life expectancy just because of the strain it puts on your body. And like some people function a lot better at night than others, but I think most of us experience some um, sleep disorder or even eating difficulties. I know I, I have trouble eating if I work nights because I'm just not hungry at the right times, you know? I should probably pause here and just say that it took so long to get our last contract, we're gonna start negotiating the next one right away. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons these policies are so important is these policies guide the negotiations, whether they come into the demands or not. They're in the Constitution. So these are overarching principles that will be in the minds of our negotiating team from start to finish every time, unless this Constitution changes at some point. So these are all important goals that we're constantly working for and are constantly in the minds of our negotiations whenever, whenever we make a new contract. And, and not just when you're doing like formal negotiations, but also when you're consulting locally or um, anytime you're speaking with management or trying to work out how things are going to be done, uh, we should have these concepts in our minds so that we're not contradicting them. Right. The next one's a big one for Group 1 workers, uh, rotating functions, which is rotation of duties. Just to, It's good for your health. You stop those um, repetitive strain injuries. 
It's good for your mental health to switch things up. Um, it recognizes that letter carriers already have kind of a rotation of duties built in, um, especially for the PT people or for the MSCs. They have, uh, you know, their prep time, their delivery time, their pickup time, it's all a little bit different. Letter carriers have their sort time, their prep time, their delivery time. So there's a bit built in there already, but for, for plant workers, you know, some people like doing the same thing, but I don't think it's the healthiest. But if you want to be in the bullpen all the time, maybe, but most people, it's just mind numbing to do the same job constantly all day when you do something like that. I couldn't do it. Yeah, and I think usually this is achieved by setting a time limit for how long you're going to do each position. So you'll do this, like say you'll do bullpen for two hours and then you'll go over and do FIFO or whatever for a couple of hours. And um, it just means that everyone gets a turn to do every job and um, it, it does really reduce the wear and tear on your body. Yeah. And these policies have no specifics. They don't say time or exactly. They're just general, <laughs> general goals we're working towards and general things to keep in mind. Um, most of them, the paragraph, some of them are two lines. I think there's one or two in here that are only a single line even. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen this handled in different ways. I know in our plant, they try to stick to a two-hour rotation for each spot, but that's not written in stone. But I've even heard of other, um, like in smaller centers, where they'll rotate which position in the, the smaller post office they're doing week-to-week or day-to-day, just so that everyone gets a turn at everything. Just play musical chairs. Have you walk around the plant until the music stops? And <laughs> Hey, that would make it a lot more fun. <laughs> Oh, do you, if you stop in a certain spot, you get a break? I don't think the employer would go for that. We can try. <laughs> Is there a drink spot? Because um... <laughs> The taco bar? The taco bar. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, contracting out, another one that's fairly obvious. The union opposes contracting out. We want to keep all work in-house and all staff getting a good pay and good benefits. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much the union's position that anything to do with the transporting, sorting, um, dealing with the mail is is the work of our bargaining unit, and we want our people doing that work. Um, if only so that there's more of us and more positions to be created. Right. And then the part-time ratio. This is something the employers have been picking at over the last few years. We want to keep as many full-time jobs as possible. Especially since, as we know, not everybody is equal and part-timers don't get all the same benefits that full-timers do. They're um, generally prorated based on their hours. It doesn't say exclusively full-timers. That would be unrealistic. Uh, plus, there's some people for their work-life balance want part-time. Right. But everybody should have the opportunity to take full-time work if they want it. And we need to make that available as much as possible. There are um, sections of the collective agreement that say that, uh, like, in these instances, you should try to make that a full-time job rather than a part-time job. Okay, so we've we've run out of time for this week, so we'll continue this in our next episode to finish discussing the national policies. Until then, uh, keep fighting the good fight and supporting each other in your struggles against the nasty employer.